I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. What's going on, everybody? Happy Monday. Regular season's in the books. The Celtics are officially the seventh seed. Not been a great year, but, you know, they played well. They played with some heart to end out the last two games. A bit different today. Instead of just being joined by Mr. Greg Manakis, going right this time, uh, we're joined by Will as well, who you usually get on a Friday. Uh, Just to try and get this roundtable feel, we're going to discuss what we've seen from the Celtics kind of B team, as we'll call them. (laughs) <laughs> we'll, we'll hit on what we're expecting from the playing, but we're going to have plenty of time to discuss that after the facts as well. And then we're going to give you guys our um, end of season awards, I guess, just Celtics related, though. We're not going to pay attention to the rest of the league because let's be quite honest, they don't really matter as much to anyone listening to the mm-hmm. show. Greg, Will, what's going on, my guys? Oh, man, I'm excited to be here. I got some some Tremont Waters classic minutes. It's going to be on the Hall of Fame tape. So uh, <laughs> I was really happy to see my guy go go all out today, get the ball out. Yeah, man, excited to be here. It's uh, I think it's only appropriate, you know, KG goes in the Hall of Fame this weekend. Paul Pierce gets announced for next year. We got to bring our own big three together, right? Yeah, I like that. Let's not forget Mike as well. Mike Gorman. That's right. That's right. Big that was, uh, he was super humble as well, the way he handled that on air, uh, giving praise to everybody around him, making sure he didn't make anybody feel like they're um, – their contributions hadn't been noticed. I thought that was really classy the way the way he handled that. So big props to Mike. I'll reach out to Mike soon, see if we can get him back on so we can get his takes on that. So where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the game we just witnessed? We're recording this directly after the the close fought loss to the Knicks, which to be quite honest with you, a close fought loss when you see the rotation that was out there. Feels like a win. I'm going to be quite honest. I feel like that was one of the better games of the year. We should have rolled with this uh, rotation from game one. Might not be where we are. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm feeling. I almost tweeted out Celtics on a two-game win streak heading into the play-in. <laughs> and I realized that just wasn't true. But uh, Will and I actually got to watch the game together, which is really cool. Um, our buddy, Matt Liptak, who's been on um, our pod, he watched it with us. He's a big Knicks fan. So we were actually debating throughout the game do we do we actually want the Celtics to win the game, you know, and upset the New York fans, or should we just like reward New York fans for finally getting in the playoffs and having a four seed and having home court? Because I think that's just a cool story. So that was kind of like the you know the running narrative as we were watching the game here in my spot. Yeah, man, it was uh, it, it was fun, you know, like you said, Adam. We came in with our B League summer league team, you know, practice squad, whatever, whatever you want to label them as, you know. And they and they put up a fight against, you know, Greg pointed this out at the end of the game. Like, this is part of what's been, you know, somewhat frustrating on the Celtics season. The Knicks just rolled out there with their their playoff team. They're the four seed in the Eastern Conference after today. They played their whole team. They were fighting for that game to get that win, and we were right there at the buzzer with our you know, seven through 12, 13, 14 guys playing out there. So it's, you know, it's, it, it was fun to see them out there competing and keeping that game close with the Knicks. But at the end of the day, it makes you think more of where was this fight all season, you know, with this back end of this, of this bench and this road, these rotations. This is my, my biggest issue, man. Like you see these guys out there now. And to be fair, I kind of alluded to this on Twitter earlier. There, there was something to play for, for these guys that were on the court for Boston. It wasn't, uh, seeding space. It wasn't pride. It was the fact that some of the guys out there are fighting for rotation minutes and some of the other guys are clawing to be able to stay in the league next year. And I think that someone like Tremont Waters that 
I don't think he's going to be happy being a two-way guy. There's going to be offers from Europe. He might get some offers from around the league. He's put himself in the shop window and said to everybody, look, I am a viable option as a backup guard for you. I can come off the bench. I can handle the ball, get hot at a moment's notice. Started displaying that stop and pop. Um, had some good moves inside as well. So I feel like because it benefited the players as well, because everybody was fighting for something in this game, Jabari Parker, Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, they all want rotation minutes. They're contracted beyond this season. Whether or not we're going to see them get moved on is a different story for a different time. But right now, they're just trying to find some form of consistency in their play to earn them a shot when the meaningful games start come Tuesday. So I think that we saw a different mind frame from those guys, but I would like to have seen that mind frame. The question about where are we? How does this work? How how many minutes can we give to Pritchard? How many minutes can we give to Romeo? Because you would have seen a body of work rather than just a two-game kind of like, here's what I can do. You know what I mean? So that was the most frustrating thing for me was when it suits you guys, now you're stepping up to the plate. Yeah, and I think if if these guys had been ready throughout the year, you know, they, they would actually be in that conversation. It's just that for whatever reason, they couldn't get motivated to play whenever Brad called on them. And that's why I think you saw so many times um, Brad was just like, okay, this lineup with these three random bench guys isn't working. Let me throw in three other random bench guys in and see if that works. And when no one's playing consistently, it's hard to find a rhythm. And that's one of the things I've been kind of kicking around is like, should we knock Carson Edwards for missing all of his shots or Semi Ojale when he finally gets to play again? Like, they, there's no way that they can have a rhythm going in playing every third or fourth game, you know? So when you get to see them for a full 48, you see them start to gain a little bit of confidence. And someone like Tremont Waters is a very confident player, but when he's getting spot rotational minutes, it's tough to be confident on the court, you know? And then you tend to be overconfident and try and force confidence rather than letting that naturally come to you throughout the game. And you saw Tremont, you know, he came off the bench today. Um, Pritchard didn't really have it. I don't think, I, I think Brad was sitting Pritchard and Neesmith towards the end of the game anyway, just to kind of let the really end of the bench guys get their shine. But Tremont outplayed Pritchard and he deserved to be on the court. And he was, I mean, I told my buddy Liptak at the beginning of the, of the game, I, I was like, man, Tremont Waters, it's a Tremont Waters show before Tremont <laughs> had even gotten in the game. And he was like, who's Tremont Waters? I was like, oh, you're going to know by the end of this game, just kind of joking around. And then by the end of the fourth quarter, he was like, yo, Tremont Waters is killing us. And that's what Tremont has the ability to do. It's just he's, you know, he's diminutive. So if it's tough to, it's tough to really make a difference as a 5'8 point guard. You know, he's super skilled. I think that's why last year everybody wanted him to play over Wanamakers because Tremont Waters can have these moments where he can make a difference. It's just for whatever reason, whether it's depth or Tremont just wasn't ready, Stevens just didn't go to him. Or, you know, Adam, you always point out the fact that he's a two-way contract guy. That's something I don't really consider as much as you always bring up. And then you bring it up. I'm like, oh, yeah, like they should give Carson Edwards more of a chance because he's on that deal. And it's, you know, it's a guaranteed deal versus what Tremont's doing. So that, that, that was my biggest takeaway from this game is just I love Tremont Waters. And I hope, I hope that we can find a little bit of um, space for him next year. And and if we don't do it, I hope somebody in the NBA gives him a chance. Yeah, and it, it's funny with Draymond because, you know, we've seen this, like you said. Think back to, for me, the Bulls game is the one that jumps out the most where we were coming off that six-game winning streak, had the Bulls at home, just had not been playing, you know, up to par all night. And Draymond Waters got some minutes at the end of that game. 
nearly got the Celtics back in and stole that victory. So we've seen those little bits and pieces from Traymon. And, you know, Greg, when you touch on, can we really fault some of these guys? They haven't had the minutes. They haven't had a chance to get a rhythm. They haven't been exposed. And that's, you know, that's where we get back to when we look at, we kind of like scope out and look at, look at the season as a whole. And there's a little bit on Brad Stevens' coaching. There's a little bit on Danny Ainge's plate for roster construction. There's definitely a little bit with COVID and injuries. And then there's a little bit just on the players themselves. And so all of these things kind of work hand in hand in one way or another that have kind of led us to the point where we are today and now set up to play the to play for the play-in on Tuesday. I mean, for me, like, as we say, like, it, it always comes down to rhythm, right? So as Greg mentioned, these guys are coming in cold most of the time. And then we're judging them based off a, a five to 10 minute sample size. And sometimes it works like you alluded to, to Will, where Tremont comes in, changes the way the game is flowing, almost drags the team back into a, a position where you could possibly win or force an overtime. But if you speak to players, like they tell you the hardest adjustment from college to the NBA is adjusting to staying ready and staying zoned in to be able to actually contribute if it's one minute every 10 games or five minutes every year like that's the that's the difference between being um and a college guy mm-hmm. and then being a professional and that's where the biggest jump has to come from it's all mindset and figuring out how to find a rhythm when there isn't one and i think Tremont's showing that he's capable of doing that he seems to adjust quite well to being thrown in in the middle of like random games, random times. I do think he's one of the guys that benefited quite a lot from being around this team this year for, due to no G League because he's he's been one of the he's seen more minutes than Tucker. So he's the two way that's really found that beneficial. Uh, I'd like to see him stay with the team. I do think the only way that happens is if you find a way to move on from Carson Edwards. I don't think that's completely fair on Carson. But of the two of them, I think Tremont gives you exactly what you need over what Carson Edwards does. Carson needs a high volume of shots to be any sort of impactful, whereas Tremont gives you that penetration that this team sorely needs. And that's why I'm so high on what Evan Fournier is brought right now. But to do that, I don't think um, Tremont's going to be happy signing a third two-way deal. I don't even think you're eligible to sign a third two-way deal with the same team. I think oh, you can't years. do that. Interesting. We were actually talking a little bit about what if we gave uh, Taco a decade-long two-year contract, just <laughs> 10 straight years of two-way contracts. I didn't know that there was a limit. That's good to know. Yeah, I think the limit for games will be back next year as well because usually as a two-way guy, you're limited right. to how it's 60 days with your NBA team. Whether you play or not, you only get 60 days. Uh, that was changed this year due to COVID to give teams a bit more depth. Um, I, I'm not sure. I have to check that, but I'm pretty sure it's like two years and then you need to move on from that guy. or So I think there's going to be interest in Tremont. I'm a bit lower on whether there'll be interest in Taco. But it'll be nice to see some new guys given a chance to perform in those two-way spots next year as well. Uh, I think Carson Edwards is still the guy who I think is going to be the biggest casualty this year. Is, we've seen a bit more of him than what we've seen of him last season. He's had a few more opportunities here and there. And... While he does look like he's figuring it out, I just don't think he's right for this team. They need to start injecting some better fit in one project, like someone that actually fits the system better. But they also need to get older, and the only way to do that is to start moving on from some of these young dudes. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know who you'd bring in though. Like I was, kind of, I was taking a look at the free agent market, and I would, I think people would say that the Celtics need a little bit more front court depth. But like, uh, there's not really that many names out there. The, the type of guy that I'd like to see them bring in 
is like a Taj Gibson type or Bobby Portis type, you know, one of those kind of bigger, uh, longer fours that's more of like a traditional power forward but can play up. Um, Bobby Portis is the guy that, you know, I would really like to see on the Celtics. I think he only signed a one-year deal with Milwaukee. I can't remember, though. Um, so I, I want to see them add a little bit more toughness. It's just like, I, who are they going to bring in? Because like last year, right, Brad Wanamaker – is the type of guy that we're talking about here, right? He was like a veteran guy with experience. And we saw that that was okay, but Brad will overplay those guys, you know, and he'll become too reliant on that steady presence versus going with someone that's got a little bit more upside. It's the whole Tice versus Robert Williams debate all over again. So I, you know, Jeff Teague was another guy that we brought in that was supposed to be this veteran presence. So we got, if we're going to bring in veteran guys, we've got to make sure that we bring in the right veteran guys. And I guess my question is, why are the, the right guys not willing to come to Boston? It seems like they're more willing to go to Miami. It seems like they're more willing to go to the L.A. teams. So how do we get those guys interested in what we're doing here? You know, um, that's, my, my, that's my biggest concern. Yeah, I mean, part of the issue with with some of the guys that you mentioned when it comes to Wanamaker and Teague is that those are minimum guys, you know, so we're, we're not working with a whole lot of flexibility when it comes to what we can offer. And, you know, I don't know exactly what Todd Gibson signed for, but I believe it was a little bit more than, than the minimum. So especially in that particular scenario, that'd be his affiliation with Tibbs. But when it comes to any of the guys around the league, that's going to be one of the hardest parts about trying to get this team some more veterans that have skills that we can can actually use that don't turn into just Jeff Teague where it's, you know, we're signing this guy on a veteran minimum deal and we're going to see what happens. We're signing them on a, you know, two year, five million, six million, seven million dollar deal because there actually is value in that person and that, you know, there's someone that's going to bring a value to this team to help bring it to that next level. Because mm-hmm. to Adam's point where he was talking about that transition from college to to the pros and kind of figuring out how to be ready, how to be in that moment in a reduced role. Most of these guys are coming in as, you know, SEC player of the year, you know, all Americans, whatever it might be. You think about that game today, you take away Jabari Parker. I think just about everyone else the Celtics played today is less than four years out of college, pretty much. So that just shows you, you know, the you know, how young that this back end of the bench is and why it's difficult for them to be ready for that spot. So, you know, how do we attract those people to come here? I mean, the answer is they need to believe in in the Jays and that they're going to have an opportunity to win here. How you do that, I, I'm not entirely sure. We'll have to see. Danny and you have to get creative with the cap room that we have here going forward. Um, mm-hmm. But I do agree that that's an area that, that we need to address. And some of the players you named, Greg, I think are along the lines of, of where we need to look. Well, when you think about like what draws veterans to certain teams, and this is something Adam and I had touched on in the last time I was on this pod, um, you know, sometimes it's the the members of the coaching staff. And right now there aren't, you know, members of the coaching staff that can draw in those veterans. You know, Jeff Teague had ties to Brad Stevens in Indiana, right? That's one of the reasons why he came here. And, um, you know, another name that was floating out there was like Harry Giles, who's a young guy, but, you know, he he has ties to Jason Tatum. You know, so who are the guys on the team that are building blocks that can draw people here? It doesn't seem like we have enough connections. So I'm wondering if one of the answers is, you know, addition to the coaching staff that might, you know, make veterans more willing to come here. Because it doesn't seem like Brad has too deep of connections within NBA circles with the with the veterans. That's a really good point, to be fair. It's something I hadn't considered um, at that depth. I think another thing is as well, like, Boston, just in general, is a um, high-pressure city, high pr- um, rabid fan base that really get on your, on your butt if it's not working out. Um, 
high taxes. And my outlook is if you struggle to bring in the right type of veterans after a conference finals appearance, multiple years this has happened, you've still struggled in that free agency market. Trying to do so now when realistically, if we're being honest with ourselves, it's most likely a first round exit. Maybe it's going to be a bit harder to sell to some of these vets that are quote unquote ring chasing. I think the way to do it won't be during free agency. I think it will be looking for teams that are trying to add some youth to their game, trying like slowly trying to enter a rebuild, but you know, straddle that line. You see teams do it all the time. Boston have been doing it for years now. Looking for a team with some veteran talent that want to add some youth and some guys that can run through walls for them and trying to strike a deal there with your Grant Williams of the world, with your Carson Edwards. If you get, if they don't get through the plane, you're in a lot, you won't, you now own a lottery pick in a stack draft. Forget using that pick, package that pick and try and bring mm-hmm. something of value back. And if that means a Marcus Smart has to be in some form of deal or it needs to be Marcus and Tristian to bring back one or two guys that fit what Brad Stevens wants more, then you need to do that because at the moment it feels very much like Brad Stevens has got the types of players that he wants, but not the types of leadership that he needs to really put, bring this team a step forward. Um, so I, I'm expecting to see some moves there. Free agency, I'm not too sold on. I just don't think there's much talent um, at the the area where Boston's financials are sitting at, at the moment. Mm-hmm. And sign and trades realistically are off the table due to them being in the tax and they'll be way above the tax apron once that sign and trade's completed. So I don't think a sign and trade's going to happen. Also, if you want to use a trade, you've still got an $11 million TPE. You've got an $11 million coupon. Do you want to let that expire? Plus two other ones as well. You still got the Cantor one. You still got the Vincent Poirier one. You have enough flexibility in terms of coupons in terms of I want to go out there and spend my free money the tokens I won at the fair last week and I want that big stuffed animal to go out and actually make that happen so I do think they're going to be more aggressive than what some people are expecting and if they're not I'm going to be a little bit annoyed to be quite honest yeah come come the draft day that's that's where I think you have to be on the lookout for using that 11 million the canter and everything in the I know there's one other I think exception that we have that's five million or less yeah, it's Poirier's one that is. Yeah, I mean, there's just not a lot of guys that are super valuable at that at that contract. And if they are valuable, most likely those teams aren't going to be giving up that that player if they're only paying them two million dollars. But I think with that eleven million, I'd have to go back and, and see you know who makes around that eleven million dollar mark. But I think with you know this first round pick that's going to end up what somewhere in the in the high teens, I believe is is where it might is where it might be low twenties when it's all said and done. You know, that that could hold some value in what's supposed to be a strong draft. If you package that with maybe something, you can you can put something together. Uh, and I think I agree with you, Adam, that ultimately, given the way that the, the financials are set up for the Celtics here going forward, they're probably going to use their bird rights to try and retain Evan Fournier. The trade route is going to be where they're going to need to go to try and upgrade this roster in some capacity. Yeah, I mean, if you look at guys like Bobby Portis that are earning um, – a small amount of money this year, but look at the production he's gave you. He's had such a stellar year that he's going to command. He bet on himself upping his production being when being placed around higher to higher level talent. You know, he's gone from playing alongside rookie RJ Barrett, um, second year Mitch Robinson or third year, you know, and all of a sudden he's picked up from that scenario, placed in Milwaukee next to Giannis, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton. Now all of a sudden he can just be a star in his role, as Brad Stevens would say, and he's excelled there. And I think that the money coming to him 
puts him way out of a lot of teams' range, like Boston. That he just he's he's proven and earned a payday now. So while I do agree that Portis would fit perfectly, uh, it's players like that, Kelly Olynyk, another guy I'm absolutely besotted with bringing him back right now. Same, but I just don't think they're viable options. And because even if you move guys out and take less money back, that you're still above that tax. That yeah. the, the cap space, just the flexibility, just isn't there, which uh, which really hurts because I think Eleni could do perfect for this team. And we need like guys like Bobby Portis too. One, I love his crazy eyes. The Bobby Portis <laughs> eyes is a real thing that has an effect. And I think that Bobby Portis wasn't he the guy that punched his own teammate in the I face? I was going to bring that up. I think it was Miritich that he might have punched. Yeah, he punched the Bulls. Yeah, didn't he like punch him out of the league? Like, is that guy even the league, in the league anymore? <laughs> no, he got think... made a pause. Um, yeah, Miritich got offered ridiculous money to go back to Europe after getting knocked out by Portis. <laughs> I think so he like, was highest paid player in Europe now. Did he go okay. to like Barcelona, Real Madrid? It was like one of those ones that also Barcelona. Yeah, 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 yeah okay. Barcelona. Gotcha. But, like, don't we need somebody on the team that might punch another teammate in the face? Like, Marcus Smart, I think he's the guy that everyone thinks does that. And I think Mm -hmm. Tristan Thompson was a guy that we brought in hoping that he would provide a little bit more toughness and leadership. But, like, we need more crazy Bobby Portis eyes, kind of like the Marcus Morris effect, right? Marcus Morris was the type of guy that just added some dog to the team. And uh, I would love to see a couple more guys that are just tough. Maybe a James Johnson. Is that a name that y'all be interested in? Maybe, but I mean, I think it's funny though, because like we talk about wanting to, you know, bring more guys in and theoretically, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of theoreticals with the Celtics team, but that's what, you know, like you said, Tristan Thompson and Marcus Smart were going to be. And they're also the two guys that Adam mentioned, we might be then sending out to go get another, you know, crazy eyes or go get another, another dog for the team. So it's I, I don't know the answer to it, but I just think it's, you know, I, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think there's definitely a mindset and a fight with this team that just hasn't been there all season. So it seems like Marcus Martin, Tristan Thompson might not be the answer, but then is trading the two of them out for one other person that is. Maybe they will be, maybe they won't be. You know, it, it kind of gets back to that Mike Gorman quote where it's, you know, your best players, the leaders on your team, which in this case is the Jays they kind of set the tone for, for, you know, for where your team goes. So maybe it's more on them. I don't know. We'll have to see. I think it's an offseason where we have to try and figure out a lot of things for this I team mean, going forward. I think a lot of it comes down to the youth as well, not in terms of not being talented enough, because I think a lot of the guys on this roster are talented enough to make an impact and um, provide some form of skill set to help you win. But I think that they get intimidated. There's a bunch of guys on this team that are now up against people like you know towering giants and if you're a guy like Peyton Pritchard or a Grant Williams Grant to his credit has shown a bit of dog at certain points in the season there's a moment where I remember him flying over and jumping in someone's face for pushing over Pritchard or whoever it was but at the same time sometimes I feel like they get intimidated once the game gets physical these are grown men that are playing with an intensity that some of these players haven't seen before or they're not used to because when when previous years you'd have a Hal Horford that could step in and be that physical presence back and kind of knock that intensity out of somebody, a Marcus Morris, um, and Aaron Baines would do that for you. They'd protect the younger guys. This year they haven't really been protected. They've been thrown in and had to deal with that physicality a bit more than what we've seen in previous years. And mm-hmm. I think that's had a knock-on effect in terms of mentality. And um, if you look at the way Romeo's played throughout the season when he's since he's been back, very tentative. You'll see Pritchard go through stretches where he's a bit cautious about entering the perimeter. Sorry, entering in from the perimeter. 
because I just feel like they're a bit scared of getting banged up. And that's why I think additional vets, guys that are grim, like grimy, you know, crazy eyes, Bobby Portis, you put him on this team with a Tristan Thompson and a Marcus Smart. Now there's enough people there to kind of be like, hey, if you want to play physical, we've got our physical dudes too. But mm-hmm. we've also got some young guys that can light you up and we're going to protect these young guys. And I think that's what's been missing this year. Yeah, it's like, you know, sometimes Will and I will play basketball and we'll, we'll play basketball at this like church, right? With all these, all these dudes, you can kind of guess what they look like. Um, but they're just like a bunch of nice guys. And then sometimes I go play basketball in the hood and, you know, me playing against the guys in the church versus playing in the hood, it's a little different. I'm like, okay, that guy just threatened to stab me. So, like, maybe I won't talk as much smack today. I, I, you know, like, I think that's what the Celtics, that whenever they, whenever they go up against these really physical teams, it's just like, oh, like, these guys are just saying some wild stuff to me. And I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't really want that problem. I mean, I'm just going to chill on the perimeter and shoot some threes today. Like, no, you got to go mix it up in there and, like, really get dirty. And we don't really have the guys that are, that are doing that. The yeah, only thing I can add to that is uh, I don't think Settlers of Catan, Grant Williams, is going to be the answer to that question. <laughs> this is what I'm saying, dude. Like, you know, like uh, Greg says, sometimes you've got to embrace the hood, and that's just the way you need to be sometimes. And uh, if I'm in the NBA right now, and I understand that the backgrounds that some of these guys come from are around that type of environment, you're not there no more. You're a millionaire. Your life is different right now. So you can talk as gangster as you want to me, but I'm still driving the lane on you. You're a millionaire. You're soft as the rest of us on the floor right now. You know what I mean? Like I'm not. I'm not concerned about. You got something you know? to lose now. Yeah, exactly. So you can talk that trash, but you're not gonna. You're not gonna back it up. And if you do, then everything you've ever worked for is gone too. So I feel like the mentality of it. I can understand. It's kind of scary, you know. Like um, Derek Favors, big, muscly dude. If he told me he was like, you know, shut your mouth, or I'm gonna make sure you hit the floor hard next time you drive the paint. I'm probably going to be start letting up some floaters. Let's not lie. But at the same time, if you've got an Al Horford there, that's like, don't worry about this. This, you know, he's just trying to get in your head. Do just keep doing what you're doing, and he'll earn that respect from him. Earn him to stay, stop talking trash, and start having to guard you. And I think that veteran guidance is what's missing because there's only two voices that are really dishing that out right now: Christian Thompson and Marcus Smart. And if you're only hearing the same two voices give you advice every day for an entire year eventually those voices start going over your head because you're like man i've heard it yeah i get it you you said this before three four five of those guys with different angles and different reasonings now you know there's enough to start listening to and i think that's a big big loss for the celtics in terms of if you look when they were successful there was jay crowder amir johnson Mm -hmm. al horford there's been so many big personalities in that locker room and now you're relying on just two guys and i just don't think that's enough you know we, what, uh, oh go ahead greg i was gonna say is this like the mighty ducks two moment right when they get blown out against iceland and then they need to go play against keenan thompson's crew in the hood and they play some uh some street puck you know i think that's what they need to do maybe just <laughs> they need Tatum, a knuckle puck yeah they need yeah. a knuckle puck i just think they need to go you know maybe play at rucker park for a couple of weeks little uh, little, little sticks gloves shirt type mentality <laughs> before they go in and uh and mix it up. But uh, what I was going to say is, are, are we ready to have a Kemba Walker for Al Horford trade discussion? Or is that a is that another pod that we need to save that for? I think we do that next weekend. Okay. I think, okay. I think we do that next weekend because I've got a lot to say on that. And I think um, I think we're entering the point where we should get our awards done. But um, <laughs> yeah. we can, I, I definitely, we could do some 
a crazy trade pod where we just kind of look at things that are very viable, but maybe not. The I was going to say, I don't think it's that crazy. I think there's a, a way in which you could talk yourself into that move, but we'll, we'll save that for another pod. Yeah, I think we should. If you guys are free, we'll double it. We'll do a, a roundtable again next weekend, and we'll do, we'll have a look at that in depth. Um, I guess right now, then we're going to go into our uh, our awards. So everybody, everybody listening, this is going to be most improved player, most valuable player, rookie of the year, favorite game of the season, craziest game of the season, worst game of the season, and we'll do it as a round robin, and then we'll work through. So if we start with, we'll start with Will. Who was your rookie of the year from the Celtics. So you've only yeah. got two to choose from. Yeah, right. It's a pretty simple choice here. Uh, I went with Peyton Pritchard for this. You know, I think Peyton Pritchard's had the most consistent contributions as a rookie this year. I'll talk about Aaron Neesmith later, but I, but I think Peyton's been the most consistent. Obviously, he came out extremely hot. He had a little bit of a, you know, a little dip in the middle of the season after he was injured. He even talked about hitting a little bit of a rookie wall. But, you know, 47.2% this year on catch and shoot threes. Not just good for a rookie. That puts him near the top of the league across all of the NBA with everyone mixed into it and shot 41.7% overall. You know, Adam and you and I have talked about it. I think Peyton Pritchard is a high level backup point guard going forward. Nothing wrong with that. I don't think he's, you know, a future cornerstone or a guy that can't be in certain trades, but I think Peyton Pritchard is a piece that Danny Ainge just hit on late in the draft at a time where it's hard to find guys that end up sticking around and having careers. And I think Peyton Pritchard will be that. So he gets my rookie of the year. Yeah, I don't think there's really a debate there, right? It's got to be fast PP. He had that one bad stretch in February. He shot only 34% from three and kind of just looked out of sorts. And as Will mentioned, that also coincided with him having just come back from that injury. And I think it took him a while because he, he was one of those guys that really had never been hurt in his life. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, a frayed knee ligament and it changes your mindset, especially driving to the court, uh, driving to the hoop. But I think Pritchard is a legitimately elite shooter, has unlimited range. Today, I don't know what happened, but all of his shots were like, there's like a breeze in the building. He was shooting outside today. Um, but he's also a solid defensive presence. I think I was maybe overrating how good of a defender he could have been early in the year just based off of one great performance he had against the Raptors. Um, but I, I love his toughness on defense. I, I definitely think he could be a high-level backup. And you know, on, on the right team, I think he could start. And another good uh, Peyton Pritchard three-point number, his last 153-point attempts, uh, if you take today out of it, he's shooting nearly 44%. And that's pretty elite, man. Yeah. You know, if there's one name in the top, whatever it is, top 30 or 40 um, percentage-wise in the league, it's not Jason Tatum, it's not Jalen Brown, it's Peyton Pritchard. So I think Steven needs to uh, trust him absolutely in the playoffs because I think he's going to be one of those guys that's going to win us a game in a series as long as he's on the floor. Yeah, I mean, that one bad stretch back in February probably cost him making history as the first rookie to end with a 50-40-90 season because he's real, real close. You know, 88.9% from the free throw line, 41.7% from three, 44.6% overall. So he, that one stretch realistically is what cost him creating history. Now, when you look at the lack of fanfare that came with that draft pick, the amount of people, me included, that expected him to go undrafted, he's made a huge impact. I don't think it would be fair not to have him as Celtics Rookie of the Year. I know Aaron Neesmith has come on strong down the final stretch and he's figured stuff out, but Pritchard has done this from the moment he started, he entered this team and he's impacted winning. He's also impacted losing, let's be fair, but Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been impacting losing too, so we can't hold too much against the young guy. 
I think he's I think he's more than justified his uh, draft selection. Yeah, what we got next? What's next on the docket, Adam? We'll you keep leading us through. Most, most improved. All right, I'll take this one. Um, I'm going to go with the other rookie. You know, it's going from the beginning of the year to the end, Aaron Neesmith. I, I was, um, earlier on in the season, I called Neesmith a project, not a piece. And I think that he's actually turning himself into a piece right now, which I think is really important for this team and what we could be either, you know, using him as trade bait or making him part of our rotation. And I think, you know, with this, the Danny can't draft talk can probably stop, right? At the beginning of the year, the Sadiq Bay game where he lit us up and was like nine for nine for three against us. And then Desmond Bain going off and being close to, you know, mid forties, three pointer out in Memphis, you know, the guy that we decided to keep, I mean, we decided to trade and we, we kept Neesmith. So th- at the beginning of the year, it looked like that was going to come back to haunt the Celtics. But now it looks like the Celtics kind of knew what they were doing in this draft with Pritchard and Neesmith. And with Neesmith, you know, he's shooting over 39% from three post-All-Star break, nearly 43% in his last 19 games. So, you know, I don't think you can blame Danny for picking Aaron Neesmith and sticking with him. If you want to blame Danny for anything, it's for letting go of Matisse Thibel because, man, that dude's good. (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole different conversation with Matisse Thibel. But you, you kind of stole my thunder here, Greg, so I'm not going to go too much deeper into it. I also had Aaron Neesmith here. You know, Greg and I have been best friends for 30 years for those listening, so we have kind of the same brain when it comes to certain <laughs> certain ideas that we have. And, you know, I was, I was thinking that actually you guys might not choose Aaron Neesmith only because I'm pretty sure from a league-wide perspective, a rookie can't win most improved player of the year. It's their first year in the league. But with Aaron Neesmith, Greg hit on all the points of, you know, thinking back to the couple of minutes that he got in January when Celtics fans were begging for him to play. And it was just very obvious he wasn't ready to play, no fault of his own. You know, he's injured at the end of his college season, COVID, not really a training camp, no summer league, like all of the factors that were there, no G League. Like It made a ton of sense that he wasn't ready to play. And to see where he's gone from his early minutes in January to now as we're about to start the playoffs, and I firmly believe he's a player that deserves rotation minutes in the playoffs, I did not see that coming. As much as you saw little spurts of what Aaron Neesmith could be, um, yeah, he, for me, and it's, you know, it's only one season, but from January to where we are now, he's my most improved guy. And I'm a little, little jealous Greg stole my thunder here going first. Uh, please hold your fighting until after the show is done now. Unless you're going to do it on air and I can film it and we can do like a Celtics <laughs> Oh, you, you can keep it rolling. You can keep it rolling. We can, we can give you some good content. Uh, <laughs> I remember Jalen Brown just because he's had a, a huge increase in his offensive load this year. I understand his defense has regressed quite a lot. So um, I, I understand that. I, I appreciate that. But in terms of play finishing, being able to pull up um, – pull up off the dribble and score your, your jumpers around the mid-range area. To start the year, he was like almost automatic. Being able to score off the dribble, that left hand has just got better and better over the last 18 months. I think that he definitely is making his first all-star career year in points, career year in assists. I just think that he was displaying enough before everything started to go downhill for the entire team. That I had him coming into the year, I had him as my most improved candidate for the whole league. And I, I felt very... Um, very confident on that for the first month of the year, first six, seven weeks. Obviously, things started to be, it was unsustainable and things started to level out. But I do think he's very um, deserving as a most improved for the Celtics. As I say, first All-Star, exceptionally 
gifted in scoring now. I feel like he's diversified his offensive profile quite a lot, which has made him way harder to guard and made things easier as a playmaker due to gravity and a playmaker due to his manipulation off ball. So I think that he definitely deserves some recognition there. But you guys caught me off guard with that new Smith one, man. So uh, I, I was going to just agree, but I thought that just doesn't make for good listening. And it's, <laughs> it's not what I had wrote down in front of me, so I feel like that would be unfair. Okay, so we've done Rookie of the Year. We've done Most Improved of the Year. We're going to go for MVP. Okay, um, let's let's do that. Let me let me jump in here, Adam, because I'm playing right off your, your last pick here. I went with Jalen Brown. And, you know, it's funny because, Jalen, if we're looking at this from a league-wide perspective, you're right. Most improved player, that's actually the category that Jalen Brown potentially could be, you know, a top-tier candidate. And certainly at the beginning of the year, uh, was looking like he was going to be someone that was going to be up for that war at the end of the season. But he was my MVP, and a lot of the reason was, you know, at the, throughout the season, he was the rock that kind of kept this, the, the ship steady for the Celtics here moving forward, you know, up until the knee injuries caught up. And then obviously we know the, the wrist situation here towards the end of the season. He was the one that was available for just about every game. And just some examples of his numbers from last year to this year. Last year, 20.3 points per game, up that to 24.7 assists. And we're st- we've still been talking about him improving his passing. He went from 2.1 assists last year to 3.4 this year. And then while he's improving his scoring, he also he also got more efficient from the three-point line, shot just under six three-pointers last year. This year, up over seven per game and took his, uh, took his average from 38% to just under 40%. So... Jalen Brown making that leap with his scoring ability. And Adam, you talked on all the ways that he does it too, which I think is just as important as the numbers themselves, is the ways in which he's able to go ahead and get those buckets, use his pivot foot, use all these different moves as he's slashing to the basket and be efficient from the three-point line. That was something that that I at the beginning of the season, I didn't see coming. I thought he may increase his scoring output, but his efficiency might decrease. And he was able to keep that on par and actually even improve that. So for me, Jalen Brown's the MVP of the season. Yeah, man, I really wanted to give this award to JB because um, I think everything that you both just hit on in terms of his early season numbers were just absolutely insane. Um, the efficiency with which he's been playing is, has been beautiful to watch. Um, I think that knee issue really bothered him. And we don't know how long that wrist was bothering him. But, you know, those numbers definitely started to come back to earth a little bit. I remember talking with my brother last year about JB and he was like, man, like, can JB be a 20 point score in the league? I don't know if he can do it. And now it's like we're, we're, we're expecting JB to be in the mid 20s, probably the rest of his career. Um, the one thing that JB still needs to work on, obviously, is his ability to you know reduce turnovers and make higher uh, level decisions uh, with the ball in his hands. But I think he thrives. You know, if Stevens and, and the team just decide like, hey, Jalen, you will have eight minutes a game where the, you know, you, you might be having the offense run through you. Um, but for the most part, just still do what you do best, get out in transition, stand in the corner, knock down threes and space the floor. Jalen's one of the best in the league at doing that, you know? So I wanted to give the, the award to JB, but I don't think you can give it to him when you got Jason Tatum on the team, man. Um, and the, obviously I think those are the two main candidates here that would, the people would be choosing between. But Tatum is the focus of every team's defensive game plan, right? JB doesn't really have to go through that. He can kind of like, allowed Tatum to take some of the pressure off of him and then kind of fill in the gaps where, where it's needed. Even though he did have moments where he stepped up and dominated, I don't think teams necessarily prepare as heavily for Jalen Brown as they do for Jason Tatum. Um, you know, Tatum's also made some great strides in his development as a playmaker. There's still much to be desired in terms of his consistency with his reads. Like, um, I think, Adam, this was a conversation you, you and I had, but it's not second nature to him yet, right? 
Um, but he's starting to see those things at a more advanced level. And the issue is that he's just not the best playmaker on the team, right? You want to develop that playmaking skill, but not at the um, at the expense of the rest of the team's success because the best playmakers on the team are Marcus Smart, Fournier, and Kemba. And, you know, with Tatum, that's going to come with time. And also, if you look at, you know, we're a 500 team, right? We ended up 500 this year. When, when Tatum plays well, the numbers prove it, we win games. When he doesn't, we lose games. When, when we win, let me see, I got the number right here. When we win, Jason Tatum is shooting 43% from three. When we lose, he's shooting 33% from three. So that's a big difference right there. And I think that shows you when, when Tatum's feeling it, the Celtics are great. And when Tatum's not feeling it, we're average. So I want to play devil's advocate. Just uh, for the record, I did have Tatum as MVP too, but you've hit on so many points that I want to explore it from a more literal sense. Who do I think added the most value during their minutes on the floor? Again, I am saying Tatum was my choice, but let's play devil's advocate. And if we're looking at just value added to the team, value added to the system and to the way that the the product actually looked and flowed, I think it'd have to be Robert Williams. I think that when you put Time Lord on that floor, um, the offense flowed much better. There, there was a lot more off-ball action going on. You posted you posted um, Rob Williams up on the perimeter or on the elbow, ran some elbow sets with him as the distributor and um, initiator. And I think he was um, he was exceptional. His vertical spacing made teams have to really stay home on some of the perimeter pick and rolls that opened up things for other guys. So I think in terms of just value added, Robert Williams deserves to be in that conversation. I understand he hasn't played enough games to have added that value consistently. And there are times where he does look out of his depth against the elite centers in the league. But let's be honest, there's about five guys in the league that don't look out of depth against those guys. And that's because they're one of that five. So looking at that, I think Rob Williams deserves to be in that conversation. It's just really gut-wrenching that his health just doesn't seem to be playing ball and participating with the to the level of his talent. And that's really bad because I think he could be an exceptional piece for the Celtics. And now I'm questioning whether or not he'll even be on this team in 18 months' time. That's, um, why, I call, that's why I call him Bobby Bitcoin. That's my nickname <laughs> for him, Bobby Bitcoin. I think that he just like takes the Celtics to a whole nother level. Um, it's a very risky investment. But if it pays off, you know, there are a lot of Bitcoin billionaires out there. <laughs> yeah, they're all living in a bubble, though. That bubble could pop at any moment. And that's what I don't want to be living on that Bobby Bitcoin um, playoff hopes. Yeah. Because just, seen, just like any of Rob Williams' ailments, they could pop at any time. Yeah, this is what I'm saying, dude. <laughs> right, then we've got three more to go. So let's go with our, uh, our craziest game of the year. So I'll jump in on this Ooh, one this and say it was that game against the New Orleans Pelicans. New Orleans Pelicans that lasted like three hours went on to overtime in the Celtics last late. Um, for me, what made that crazy was just the sheer amount of referee decisions. That, the length of the game was insane to me. It was an early game and it finished like, 10, I think it started at 7 p.m. English time and finished at like 11 p.m. English time. I could have watched a full New Orleans Saints game in that duration, um, <laughs> which, which to me makes it the craziest game of the year just because of the sheer length. And then to be let down at the last hurdle really, uh, really made it stick out in my mind. Okay, for me, it's got to be the comeback against the Spurs. Uh, you know, it's one of those games that I almost turned off. And it was one of the games where hundreds of people were calling for Brad to, to bench everyone, play Taco. Why is Tatum even on the court anymore? Uh, it was one of those games that made you feel like the Celtics weren't very good, but it was also the perfect encapsulation of the season. You know, we are a 500 team. 
we played the worst first half and the best second half. So it was a great microcosm of what we what we are as a squad, right? We can beat anyone and we can lose it to anyone. And, uh, you know, the Celtics are incapable of playing good basketball for extended periods of time, but they can be as good as anyone in those short bursts. So I thought that was, I in the moment, I thought that was the turning point. And I was like, all right, from here on out, Jason Tatum's going to average 40 a game and carry us to a four seed. Didn't happen. But for me, it was the Spurs game. Yeah, so I love that we all are going to choose different games for this and it kind of, you know, makes sense given the season we just had. Also, shout out to you, Adam, working in an American football reference right there. Very uh, very nice of you on, uh, I on tried, that one. I tried, I tried my hardest. <laughs> I know you try and Americanize it every now and then, so I uh, appreciate that effort there. That was well done. But the game that I picked was actually the Celtics-Nuggets game in which the Celtics won 105-87, to outscored the Nuggets 31-8 to in the fourth quarter. We're down 14 with a minute 31 left to go. In the third quarter, and this is in the middle of that six-game win streak in which, you know, that's where where some of us thought that this is where the season is turning. And that game itself, you know, we've all talked about the struggles the Celtics have had with these Sunday matinees. It just, like, it felt like impending doom as we got later into the season. You know, it I, I don't know what the ended up being the final record. I believe that Timberwolves game was our that's, that and the Nuggets game, I think, were our only two Sunday mat or weekend matinee, we'll put it like that, victories on the season. And so with that Nuggets game, it felt like Nikola Jokic was in complete control of that game for two and a half quarters plus. And then, honest to God, I have no idea what the heck happened in that game. I just, I really can't explain it. You know, Kemba and JB uh, turned it on at the end of the third quarter, and then Jason Tatum came in to kind of close the door. But I don't think I've seen, especially from a really good Nuggets team, an NBA team score under 10 points in a quarter Mm -hmm. and for it to happen on those Sunday matinees, which have just stood out like a sore thumb to all Celtics fans. For me, that was, that was the craziest game that once it was done, I I couldn't really explain what happened and probably still can't to this day, especially when you look back at where everything's ending up as the season winds up here. It was the Grant Williams game. Grant (laughs) shut down Jokic. (laughs) He did. He made, he played him off, literally played him off the floor. Do you know what sticks out to me about that game? How loud the rims were on every single shot. They were yeah. The mics were just turned up. So the next one I've got is the favorite game of the season. Now, I've listed these one to three, so I didn't mention one that you two may have mentioned in the crazies. If I did, you literally took the first two. Number one was the Tatum 60 points against the Spurs, so Greg, you've took that away from me. Next <laughs> one was... um playing MVP Jokic off the floor. Will, you've removed that from me. So I've got April 14th against the Trailblazers. I just thought it was mm. a really fun game. Uh, great exhibition of shot making from both teams. I love watching Dane play. He's one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, I grew up as a big Mellow fan, so seeing Mellow operates always entertaining for me. But I just think that it was a balanced scoring effort from the entire team. I think Kemba had 21 that game. Uh, I think Let me pull it up, actually. Okay, yeah, Kemba had 21, Tatum had 32, Brown had 24, Robert Williams 16, Smart 13. It was just such a balanced offense. And that, to me, was kind of like the quintessential Celtics offense when it's clicking and working correctly with the distribution mm. and the, um, what's the word, egalitarian type of play. So uh, that was that's going to be my favorite at this point, seems you two took the first two away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, I'll go here with this one, Will. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with the first game of the year. The Tatum step back on Giannis off the glass. Why? Uh, we didn't realize how much this season was going to be not so fun. <laughs> In that first game, it felt like anything was possible. 
Uh, Kemba hadn't come back yet, so we had that to look forward to. Tatum looked like he might ride that momentum of that shot and just dominate the entire season. There was just like so much you could dream on in that first game. Tatum and Brown each had 30, and y'all, Jeff Teague had 19 points. Remember when we thought Jeff Teague might be a good Jeff Teague? And Semi Ojale made a couple plays. I think he was, that was like the game where we were like, oh my God, Semi actually shot fake, dribbled, and did something. And he was a plus 19. So that, that was my favorite game. It was just like coming in off the bubble. It was so nice to just have the real season back. Um, you know, that was the backdrop when we got that great shot of uh, Tatum and Brown uh, jumping into each other's arms with the banners behind them. It was just a beautiful first game of the year. Oh, my God. What simpler times that was, right? Just, <laughs> God, can we go back there? Um, for me, I went with the um, Celtics and Warriors game where it was Curry versus Tatum, one-on-one. Similar to your point, Adam, where you love watching Dame, Steph Curry is, is easily my non-favorite Celtic in the entire league. Curry goes for 47 in the middle of that massive heater that he was on, 11 of 19 from three, just hitting shots that – didn't make any sense. Tatum pretty much matched him almost exactly. 44 points, 10 rebounds. It's prime time. It's it's you know ESPN, ABC. Everybody's tuned in. It's one of those almost like communal Twitter events where not just Celtics Twitter is involved, but there's all of the NBA Twitter communities involved talking about Tatum and Curry and this high level of shot making. And we always talk about you know Tatum being in that upper echelon or getting to that upper echelon of superstar tier. And going head-to-head with Curry, that's definitely something that's going to stick out to me. And even Tatum said that's one of the games that you know sticks out for him in his young career is, is going mano a mano for Steph Curry. So for me, that was probably that was my favorite game because I think that was the most fun I had watching a Celtics game this year was, was just seeing that battle. And the last one before we let everybody get out of here and carry on with their Monday morning is the worst game of the year. The reason I chose it was because we didn't realize how indicative of the year that was going to be at that moment in time. It was just like, hey, we dropped one. You know it's going to be fine. We'll get them next time. Not realizing that for the entire season, the Celtics were going to fall to loads of teams that they should have been beating. Mm. And just because of how indicative it was and how easily the Pistons just outmuscled the Celtics and how that became a theme, like a sub-theme for itself throughout the year, I'm like, yeah, that's the worst game of the year because we just didn't realize how much that performance was actually telling us about what we're in for the rest yeah. of the year. Yeah, well, you're, that, that set us up for what I should have expected, which is my worst game of the year, which is the Oklahoma City Thunder, which if they, they haven't played their final game of the season yet tonight, but if they lose, their final 25 games will place them at 1-24. and 1-24. and 24. The collective age of their team that played against the Celtics that night is younger than the NCAA champion Baylor Bears, and they were on a back-to-back on an East Coast trip after playing the Philadelphia 76ers the night before. I don't care who was out for the Celtics. That is the worst loss of the season for me. They didn't have Shai either, dude. They didn't, have, they, didn't, they didn't have him. They didn't have Horford. They're trying to lose. They're actively – they had to take out Shea and uh, Al Horford from their rotations – because they were playing too well, and they have 9,000 draft picks from here until 2027. And mm-hmm. with this being a very top-heavy draft, they wanted to get make sure they got one of those top guys. It's all part of their strategy. So they were actively trying to lose. We were actively trying to figure out where we fit between four and seven, and we lost. Yeah, it's all- twenty. That's also the game that JB like re-injured that wrist or injured it yeah. for the first time, right? Lou Dort took him out. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's a good point, man. That's a good point. I'd say my thing is I think you have to throw out any 
night of a um, back-to-back because Kemba wasn't playing and the team is just so tired in the slog of a season. So, like, you throw out the loss to the Pistons, in my opinion. You throw out the loss to the Kings. We lost to the Cavs twice on a second night of a back-to-back. Um, the Wizards game now that felt like the worst loss of the season on one of those uh, Sunday afternoon games doesn't quite look as bad because in retrospect, pretty much since that game, they've been one of the best teams in basketball. So that was kind of the jumping off point for that team. The OKC game, as you said, was awful, but I know you don't want to make excuses, but we were without Kemba, Tatum, Rob, and I think that was the game Fournier had just returned from COVID. So there were, you know, we don't have a great squad other than those four guys in, in Brown. Um, the 30 point loss to the Knicks at the beginning of the year felt bad, but as we've seen, the Knicks, you know, they are in the four seed. So I think the two games that you got to, um, actually just one, it's just one game. I narrowed it down to one game and it's a game that's already been mentioned. The Pelicans meltdown, right? Cause that was a game where we were up big and we ended up blowing the game down the stretch. Right. And then Zion, I think that was also the game Zion, just like big boy, Tristan Thompson and in the front row, uh, <laughs> you know, the guy that we brought in to supposedly be our muscle just got out muscled by a 19 year old. Um, obviously he's a freak, but still, uh, so yeah, for me, I'm going to go with that Pelicans meltdown. All right, everybody, if you've made it this far in the show, then first of all, congratulations. Um, second of all, tweet us, man. Let us know what your, uh, your best, worst, and craziest game of the season. I think that would be a good little debate that we can get running on social media. I'll quote retweet everybody that tweets at me so we can get everybody's opinion on these. And I think that would be fun. It will pass the Monday while we wait for the Tuesday. We'll be back again on Wednesday when most likely I'm going to probably release late in the day so it won't be there when you wake up but it'll definitely be there and it's most likely going to be reacting to what we've seen on Tuesday whether the Celtics have beat the Wizards or whether they're now playing for the eighth seed Um, I don't know which way it's going to go to be quite honest with you as usual I've been joined by Mr. Greg Manakis and Mr. Will Weir they also make up the Green with Envy pod so make sure you check them out with what they're doing they're also the rotating co-hosts on this show so one in the morning, one in the evening, you're going to be good. Guys, uh, thank you for joining me. It's been great having the three of us rotating here, man. Uh, if anyone wants to follow either of these, I'll be hyperlinking their uh, their Twitter handles and IG handles in the uh, description of this podcast, along with mine. You know, if you don't follow me, then I'd really appreciate it if you did. Make sure to leave that five-star written review. If you don't use Apple and you're on Spotify or something, that's fine. Just recommend us to a friend or family member. You like this English person? You like the two that are with me? We're all rotating, giving you some good, good content. I'd appreciate you sharing it with friends and family. I think that's it, guys. Uh, I know that Mr. Greg here is part of a band that's about to lead us out. So, Greg, do you want to let them know what song it is and what band it is that's leading us out of this show? Yes. So this, uh, my band down here in Austin, Texas, we're called Black Sheep Optimist, three words, and optimist is plural. So an S at the end of that word. Uh, this one is called D-Lo. It's a reference to my guy D-Lo Brown, former WWF wrestler. Disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all attesting my patience, never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time, keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major, still he chased greatness, expected that he might fail. And I might too, I might never get to pop champagne, celebrating with the crew, this ain't everything I am, it's something that I do.